It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, Psalm 23, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Jehovah Rohai, or Ra'ah, uh, which means the Lord is my shepherd. And Eric and Angela were helping me this morning with pronunciations, so that was helpful. Uh, <clears throat> and then I had to Google it. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> but supposedly it's pronounced Jehovah Ro- Roy Rohai. I think that's correct. Anyway, it's the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, so we're going to be in Psalm 23. <clears throat> and, but before we actually get into it, I just want to ask a question. Uh, just almost set the stage for where we're heading. And it's this. Uh, what is it that you look to to take care of you? It's interesting when you think about our culture, we look to so many things, whether it's money, power, relationship, success, food, religion, pleasure, health, wisdom, or a myriad of other things. When, when we're needing care, when we need something, we often turn somewhere. The question is where? And I think for a lot of us, especially when we grew up in the church, we know the right answer. It's Jesus. And yet, practically, when we're in a scenario, practically, when we're facing difficulty, practically, when we're walking through something, what is it that we actually turn to? Like, when you need refreshment, when you need rest, do you turn to the movies? Do you turn to just sleep? Or do you actually turn to the Lord? Uh, when, you, when you need, uh, when you're just in one of those like funk days, where you're just like, nothing's going right, what do you turn to? Like, do you turn to the food? Do you turn to entertainment? Do you turn to, I'll just get myself wrapped up in the busyness of life and business? Like, like what is it that we actually turn to? Uh, I was wrestling through this last year when I was walking through the Soul Drift series, and I came across this great quote by uh, Brad uh, Bigney in, in, his, uh, in his book, Gospel Treason. This is what he says <clears throat> in terms of idolatry. He says, an idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. So what can be an idol in your life? Anything. And I was wrestling through this last year because we were talking about idolatry and adultery. And what, what does it mean for us to put Jesus first in every scenario and every situation of our life? And as we were working through that entire series, uh, by about the middle end of it, uh, this is how I was defining idolatry. It's looking to anyone or anything besides Jesus to meet my needs. And so when we're talking about this idea, like what do we turn to to care for us? Like what is it that we look to? What is it that we turn to to actually meet our needs and and to care for us? If it's anything other than Jesus, it's called idolatry. And so if you take that as a concept, look at what David says in Psalm 23. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want that he's actually not looking anywhere else except the Lord to be that which cares for and supplies everything he needs. And I really love that imagery of a shepherd. Uh, if you go to Israel today, you will see shepherds frequently. Uh, it, it is a very common picture uh, landscaped in Israel. You'll be driving around, and you're like, hey, look, there's a shepherd with a whole bunch of sheep. And you realize that in the days of David and in the life of Jesus, the whole picture of shepherding was very common. This was a common sight, just like we would see Walmarts 
right, in our world. I don't know why I'm using that as an illustration. <laughs> but, you know, as we have Walmarts or Walgreens on every corner, right, typically, uh, they had shepherds all over the place. And it became a great metaphor, a picture for the reality of what God was wanting to do. In fact, that idea of God being a shepherd is, is replete throughout Scripture. Just over and over and over again, there is this beautiful idea that God is a shepherd, and he is shepherding his people. In fact, that language of a shepherd later on becomes associated with kingship. Uh, obviously, that makes sense with David. David was a shepherd and then was a king. But then God uses that language too for, here is the rulers of my country and they are shepherding my people. Who am I? I am the king of my people. And what am I doing? I am shepherding my people. So listen to just a few of these verses. Uh, the first time the idea of shepherding is associated with God. It's with Jacob. He was blessing Joseph. If you remember this, he's, he, Jacob goes to Joseph in Egypt, right? This is during the whole famine thing. And it says that he blessed Joseph in Genesis 48, 15. And it says, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd throughout my life to this day. Isn't it neat thought? Here's Jacob as a nomad who has a lot of sheep. And he says, as I look back on my life, God was actually shepherding my life. He was leading and caring and providing and nourishing, and that's what he was doing in me. And then a chapter later, during the whole blessing section where, where Jacob is blessing each of the sons, he was blessing Joseph, and he says, from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the rock of Israel, the God of your father who helps you. And it's a neat blessing that he was passing this idea that Joseph, may, may my God, who is my shepherd, now shepherd you. Uh, in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, it says, and he, speaking, uh, it's a messianic prophecy, speaking of, of Jesus, he, Jesus, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh, his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says, Like a shepherd, he will shepherd his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He, speaking of God, will gently lead the nursing ewes. Or Isaiah 53, 6, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. Speaking of, of the Messiah. I look at Ezekiel 34. It says, As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his sheep which are spread out, so I, says the Lord, will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will shepherd my flock and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord Yahweh. And you hear, you hear a reference to the whole Psalm 23 in this, that he's going to shepherd and he's going to force the sheep to lie down. And it's just, oh, he's going to care for them. Or look at Ezekiel 34, verse 23, at the end of that chapter, <clears throat> Ezekiel writes from the Lord, then I, says the Lord, will establish over them one shepherd, again, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, my servant David, and he will shepherd them, he will shepherd them himself and be their shepherd. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us then, as we come to the life of Jesus, that Jesus shows up, and what do you see Jesus doing? He's shepherding. In fact, I, I love John chapter 10, this is so mind-boggling to me. In John chapter 10, which we're going to come back to in a second, Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
for the sheep. Uh, but as we just continue through the New Testament, Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21 says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will by doing in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a great statement, though? The great shepherd of the sheep who through the blood of the eternal covenant actually laid down his own life for the sheep. Or look at 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, speaking of Jesus, you will receive the unfitting crown of glory, speaking of the return. Uh, As I was reading through several books on the names of God, I came across this great quote by a a guy by the name of Charles Rolls. And he's looking at those three passages in the New Testament about Jesus in John and Hebrews and Peter. And, And this is what he says. I just thought this was a great enunciation. He says, the three descriptions that are given of Christ as being the good, great, and chief shepherd declare his sympathy as a substitute, John 10, 11, his sufficiency as a sustainer, Hebrews 13, 20, and his supremacy as a sovereign, 1 Peter 5, 4. This threefold vocation of the virtuous Savior, which is represented in his cross, his crook, and his crown, includes and incorporates all that can be desired of a true shepherd as a purchaser to possess, as a proprietor to provide, and as a promoter to perfect. Isn't that a great statement? I really appreciate just that insight of those. When you look at those three statements of Jesus being a shepherd, it's seen in a cross, a shepherd's crook, and a crown. Like just the language, I just, and Charles Rolls has a lot of alliteration, which makes me smile too. Uh, But I just thought that was such a great uh, insight and, and just a statement. So what I want to do is I want to look at two passages really quick, and we're not going to dive into either one of them very deeply uh, because each of these would be multiple studies. And again, I think I keep saying this, but we're just what I've discovered is we're only covering the names of God very surfacey, like from a very big perspective or just on a surface level. And uh, and I would encourage you to go study this stuff out. Uh, and I've I've taught on the whole shepherd thing before from John ten and Psalm twenty three, so you can go find more if you want to this. But in John 10, 11, look at this again. <clears throat> Jesus stands up and talking about the fact that he is the, he's the gate and then he is a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I don't know what you think when you hear the word good. Um, I kind of think of blasé. Uh, in terms of superlatives, good is probably at the bottom of my list. Good is like bad. Like there's so many better words than just good. Like phenomenal you know, like phantasmagorical, tubular is even a better word than, than good. You know, it's like, depending on what area you're from, church, you know, it's probably a new one. Uh, but, but regardless, like good to me is just like, eh, it's good. But that's, that's not how the word in the Greek is being used. It's, in the Greek, it's this idea of an intensified superlative. In other words, Jesus isn't just merely a okay shepherd. He's like, phenomenal. And so when you look at the word good, <clears throat> Uh, it can mean beautiful. Look at this is awesome. Handsome, excellent, eminent, choice, surpassing, precious, useful, suitable, commendable, admirable. And the whole idea of being good is that he is genuine, approved, competent, and able. Do you realize that Jesus has what it takes to be a shepherd? He, he is actually able to do it exceedingly well. 
And he is not just an okay shepherd. He's like the best of the best. He is, he is the greatest of all shepherds. He is the superlative. He is the most tubular. He is the most phenomenal and bodacious shepherd of all time. Which is, I wish, how John would have written it. And I think in Greek, that's probably is what he's saying, right? That, that Jesus is like a stellar shepherd. He is a supreme shepherd. He is... It's that kind of an idea. He's the top of the top of the top of, of, of the shepherds. What would happen if we actually understood that? And, and when you walk through the John 10 passage, and this is just a quick summary, because there's, there's some beautiful depth of the fact that Jesus says that he's the gate or that he's the door of the sheep. And then he says, I'm the good shepherd and I lay my life down for the sheep. As, as you walk through that whole John 10 passage in this context, there's a whole bunch of great things that show up, but I just want to give you two that are just very apparent in the passage. One is that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Obviously, he's talking about the cross, but in the context, Jesus is contrasting himself with the hired servant. And he says, you realize that the hired servants who are just watching the sheep, if something evil or bad shows up, they will run away. But what does the good shepherd do? Oh, the good shepherd will stand and fight and actually lay down his life for the sheep. And Jesus gives a couple of parables on the same, the same idea, like Matthew chapter 18. But let me just read you Luke 15. And this is in the whole prodigal son context. But the first story that Jesus shares in that series of three parables, he says, what man among you, if he has 100 sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in, in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his sh- shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, with, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Now, I love this story. And, and here's, here's a great picture, by the way. Uh, one of my favorite Christian digital artists, uh, Kevin Cardin, or Cardone, something like that. Uh, I, love, I love his stuff. Um, but this is one of his photos that he just recently did. I love this imagery of the shepherd coming after the little lost sheep. Do you realize that in the context of, of, of the days in which Jesus was living, if a shepherd was going to leave the 99, by the way, and you would never leave 99 sheep on their own. Because if you leave 99 sheep on their own, you will have zero sheep on, you know, <laughs> you will return and there will be no sheep. Because uh, we'll get into this, sheep are dumb. Okay, so you would always entrust the sheep with somebody. So you'd probably get one of the hired hand guys and just say, okay, watch the sheep. I'm going after the lost one. And it's interesting for a shepherd to go after a lost sheep. Do you realize that he's actually risking his life? Because in the, in the areas of the wilderness where you raise sheep, uh, this is where the bandits, the robbers live. This is where they do a lot of their robbing. Uh, this is where the wild animals, right? The lions and the tigers and the bears. It wasn't tigers, you know, but, but the lions and the bears and the wolves and all that kind of stuff, right? They, they were out in the wilderness. But also out in the wilderness of Judea, this is where there's these deep crevices and cracks. And so the little sheep can fall into them and die or hurt themselves. Or as you're walking around, you could fall in one of these crevices and get hurt. And so for a shepherd to go after a lost sheep was actually putting his life on the line. And isn't it a beautiful thought that Jesus says, but that's only rational. Like any shepherd, if he's counting a sheep, goes, oh, I've lost one, doesn't go, ah, it's only 1%. That's a good deal. 
Now, we might say that with certain things, but a shepherd is so overwhelmed with love for the sheep that he will always go after the lost one. And Jesus, do you know what the father is constantly doing? He's going after lost sheep. And he is willing to risk his life for, the, for, the, for that little, little lamb. And when he finds it, what does he do? Well, it's probably scared. It's probably shaking. So the shepherd will take the sheep and put it on the shoulders and usually hold the, the, each, each of the legs to calm down the sheep. And then he walks home and, and he's, he's carrying the burden of that sheep. And he brings it back into the fold and says, it's okay, little lamb, and cleans the whole thing up. And Jesus says, that's who I am. I am a good shepherd. I will always go after lost sheep. I, I am a great shepherd that, that, that I will willing to risk my life for the sake of, of the sheep. In fact, I, I love the verse right before John 10, 11, where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus says this in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that word abundantly is far bigger than you think it is. Because I think it's like the word good. It's like, okay, abundantly, woo, abundantly. But the word abundantly means, think about this, it means exceeding, more than necessary, super added, supremely, abundantly, much more than all, superior, extraordinary, surpassing, uncommon, more remarkable, more excellent, preeminent, superior, or advantage. That is quite the life that the shepherd gives us, don't you think? That it's not just like, all right, I'll give you a little bit of life. Jesus is like, whoa, I'm going to give you life. And it's life to the full. I I just love that idea. And just in the whole idea of, of the shepherd giving his life for the sheep, here's a great statement from Warren Wiersbe. He says, under the old covenant, the sheep died for the shepherd. The whole sacrificial system. But under the new covenant... The shepherd died for the sheep. That's such a cool idea. That when you go to the old, the sheep are dying for the shepherds. In the new, the shepherd is dying for the sheep. And here is our good shepherd who just out of his overwhelming love has given his life for you and I. Why? So we would actually not just have life, but have life abundantly over the top to the full, to the extreme measure. Uh, The other quick idea when it comes to John chapter 10 is this idea that the good shepherd knows and is known by his sheep. And there's just that great passage in John 10, verse 3 through 4, that the sheep hear his voice, speaking of the shepherd, and the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings all his own out, he goes ahead of them and the sheep will follow him because they know his voice. And again, it's talking about that guttural thing, right? That you've got a whole bunch of shepherds and all their sheep come to the watering trough thing and you can have all the sheep mingle. But the moment that the shepherd begins to walk away and gives that little guttural sound, which I don't know how to do, so I'm not going to try. But when they give that little guttural sound, the sheep have spent so much time with the shepherd, they just start to follow. And wouldn't it just be a phenomenal thought that I have gotten so tight with Jesus that I just know his voice, that, that, that I've spent so much time in his word that, that when, when, when there's that pressing in my soul, I can distinguish between his voice and my voice and, and, and any other voice of the enemy. Like, I, I, wouldn't it just be phenomenal if you could just get so wrapped up in relationship and intimacy with your shepherd that you would know his voice and he would know you by name? 
And there's such a beautiful portrayal of that in John chapter 10. And again, I'd encourage you to study that out. Now, if you take all that and come, into, come back into Psalm 23, <clears throat> I love what David is saying in Psalm 23. And I just want to read the whole Psalm. It's really short. Uh, but listen afresh to this idea of the Lord as a shepherd and we as the sheep. David writes this, Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. Now, we know this passage. We know we quote it at funerals. We quote it in hard times. We, we, we know this passage incredibly well. And I would, I would so encourage you to study that at some point. Because it's, it's much more than a funeral psalm. It, it's far bigger than just, I'm going through difficulty kind of a psalm. For David, this psalm was an enunciation of just life, of what God was doing in and, in and through him. And I just want to point out a couple of things. And again, you can study this out. In verse 1, David says, Yahweh is my shepherd. And, and I love the fact that in Hebrew, the, the idea is it's a name, right? It's that Jehovah Rohai, right? That the Lord is my shepherd. That is, that, that is true. But it's interesting that it's in the active, it's like in this active concept. And maybe a better way of even translating it is the Lord is actively shepherding me. Like, it's not just, okay, he's a shepherd and yeah, he'll pop in and out of my life once in a while and do some shepherding stuff. It's that God is in the middle of my life. And at this very moment, he is actively doing the work of shepherding. That's what David is saying. And I think that is so phenomenal because do you realize there's not a moment in your life where you don't need him as a shepherd? You always need him as a shepherd. And, and the, the beautiful thing of Psalm 23 is that he is actively shepherding your life. And because he is intimately, actively shepherding your life, that is why I have no wants. Why? Because he is supplying everything that I need. And then it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures. And I, I love that idea because the idea in Hebrew is not like he just like takes you out to a little green meadow, right? We're talking about the wilderness. It's mostly a desert. There's some shrubbery things. Uh, but the shepherds know where the good feeding ground is. And so they lead, the, they lead the sheep over to the fertile grounds. And then I love this. In the Hebrew, the idea is he forces you to lie there. And I love that imagery because I'm one of those people who have a hard time lying down. I mean, I mean at night, I, I lie down very quickly. Right? I fall asleep. I love, praise the Lord for sleep. But, but there's this idea that there's this rest and a trust of the shepherd. And there's sometimes it is so hard, especially in the culture in which we live, for, for us just to be like, okay, I'll trust you. And I will lie here quietly and, and I will just... And so what does he do? There are times where he will force you down. He will hogtie you and throw you to the ground. But that's what we need. He'll sheep tie you. I guess he wouldn't hog tie you because <laughs> you, are, you are a sheep. But, but he will sheep tie you. We need a better term. Uh, but he will throw you on the ground and, and pin you down. And I think sometimes that never feels good, but I think that's 
often what we need. And I've been pondering, isn't it interesting? I think sometimes I wonder if he allows the circumstances of life to force us into that lying position. And I wonder if sometimes we go through things longer than we have to because we're unwilling to lie down and rest and trust and walk by faith. I don't know. You can do whatever you want with that. It says that he leads us beside quiet waters. And if you know sheep, sheep apparently will not drink if the water is running. They have to have still water. And I guess it's because they're unstable, and if they get close to running water, they don't know what to do, and so they will either fall in, <laughs> which I would love to see this, uh, because, you know, they're full of wool. I mean, you know, they, they're woolly, which means it would just suck up all the water, and then they just go, boop. I mean, you just, you know, like, you would just, I just think it'd be fun. Uh, <clears throat> so if I ever see a sheep near a pool of water, I might push it. Uh, for the sake of the illustration, I, I want to know what happened, so I could use it later in the sermon. Uh, maybe. <laughs> That'd be wrong. Uh, I'd rescue it after it bobbed for a few minutes. But isn't it interesting that, that the Lord leads us beside quiet waters? That he actually knows what we need. and he, that There's actually a stillness and a calmness to this. That there's a restoration to your soul. That he guides you in passive righteousness. He becomes like a personal GPS unit where he's leading you in, his, in the path of righteousness, not merely for your own sake. I mean, you get the blessing of walking in that righteousness of his, but it's for his renown, and it's for his glory, and it's for his fame. That, that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where there's all this intimidation and fear, do you realize there's nothing to fear because your shepherd is with you? And you realize that the wolves and the lions and the bears, they, have, they would always empower sheep they can't do anything as long as the shepherd is next to the sheep. Or maybe I'll say it this way. They will do nothing as long as the sheep is next to the shepherd. And the reality of our spiritual battle is not, not just that we are at the ankle of our shepherd. It's that our shepherd has now indwelt the life of the sheep. Which means the enemy has no authority in your life. And you don't have to be pushed around anymore. And, and I know that as we as believers, we, we love to go from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. But do you realize the only way to get from one peak to the other peak if you don't have a zip line, is to go down through the valleys. And so, hey, you will go through valleys. You will go through times where it's questionable and it's dark and it's confusing and it's, it feels like death is upon you. But hey, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry. Why? Because you have a shepherd who was walking there with you. That his rod and his staff, and, and I would encourage you to study those two things out because it is such a beautiful thought that his rod and his staff is both there for comfort and correction. And that, that he will gently prod and lead the sheep, but he will also bring correction to those sheep. And that there's something beautiful about the fact that he has a rod and a staff, that he's preparing a table, that he anoints your head with oil. That whole anointing thing is uh, anytime a little sheep has cuts or bruises, or any, uh, he'll, he'll put a little of oil on, on the head and it literally helps heal. Uh, it also is used to remove the, uh, the, the bugs and the pests and, and that kind of thing. So do you realize that Here's a good shepherd who was literally anointing the head of a little sheep. Why? To keep the little pests away, to, to bring healing and restoration. And then I, I love the last statement that surely goodness and hesed, that idea of loving kindness, the overwhelming mercy, will pursue you. Not just that he will give it to you, but it will pursue you. That he is chasing you down with his goodness and mercy all the days of your life. And you get to literally dwell in the very presence of Yahweh forever. There's so many beautiful things about this little passage. 
Uh, the fact that David starts talking, the first three verses talks about the Lord, but then in the last three verses, he's talking to the Lord. I mean, there's, there's so many little layers of depth in these six verses. And I, again, I would encourage you to study it out because there's such a beautiful richness when you realize that Yahweh, our precious Savior, his name is Jesus, who is the good shepherd. He is actively shepherding our lives. And David, who has the whole background as a shepherd, now he's a king saying, wow, Yahweh, do you know what you've been doing in my life? You've been, you've been actively involved in shepherding my little life. And I look back and no matter the, the hard times when Saul was trying to kill me and I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death or the times where, man, I was going through the, the goodness and the wonderful things, Lord, you were, you, were, you were always there and you were always supplying, you were always caring, you were always tending to what I needed for your name's sake. That is so beautiful to me. Uh, Charles Rolls again says this about the, the passage. I, I love this statement. He says, in one of the Indian vernaculars, this verse, Psalm 23, verse 1, <clears throat> is stated this way. Jehovah is my shepherd. Sorry. Jehovah my shepherd is. To me, no need can be made. That's an interesting way of saying it. But he goes on and says, the reason Jehovah my shepherd is, to me, no need can be made. The reason is apparent. He is able to meet every need adequately and abundantly. This implies that because of the nobility and the royalty of the shepherd's personal character, no need can ever arise that he cannot meet. Through the medium of this gracious ministry, God guarantees the maximum of guidance and guardianship, sympathy, and security. Isn't that a wonderful reminder that the Lord is sufficient, that, that he as a good shepherd is the great shepherd. He is the superlative shepherd who is adequate and able to actually do the work of shepherding in your life. He is able to do it. And just as a follow-up to Psalm 23, if you've never read Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, you need to read the book. Uh, Philip Keller is just, he's, his way with words is in, it's so beautiful. I love reading Keller. Like his, I just, I just He's one of those people that he loves alliteration, which just warms my, the cockles of my heart. I don't know if people say that anymore, but I, I just, it makes me smile. And, and he just has this whimsical way of, of words that I just think is just beautiful. But he was a shepherd <clears throat> for years in South Africa. I think it was South Africa. And he writes of those experiences and applies it into Psalm 23. And what you begin to realize is there is so much beauty to what it means for the Lord to be our shepherd. And the way, it's just a little tiny book. But it's such an encouragement uh, if you want to dive into this idea even deeper. Let me just practically apply this to our lives. Again, we, we could talk for probably for days on this idea. But can I remind, remind us that we must know that we are sheep? I think in the culture in which we live, we really pull away from this idea of sheep language. But listen, I like this quote by Tony Evans. He says, if you don't think of yourself as a sheep... You won't experience everything your shepherd has for you. And I think that's true. If you won't humbly admit the fact that you're, you are a sheep, a, a little dumb animal, you actually won't experience the richness of that work of the shepherd in your life. And if you look at sheep, here, here's a quick summary. And I had to do the, alliter right, the alliteration thing's important. And the Tony Evans had a few of these, and I, I added a, some. But sheep are dumb, I've never been a shepherd. I've always wanted to have a sheep, like one, <laughs> which they say they're communal, which means you can't just have one. 
which means I can't have them because uh, I don't want to. So, you know. but, but, but sheep are dumb. Uh, and I, if you ever just want to, just fun one day, just, just like YouTube, dumb sheep. And there are some videos that just make you laugh and you're like, really? You are not that smart. And you could be offended by the fact that the Lord used sheep to describe humanity. But when you really get down to it, I think it's a great illustration. We are not smart. We do the same dumb things over and over. And when you look at the, the stupidity, if you will, of, of sheep, and just, we, we are sheep, folks. Uh, sheep are not just dumb, they are defenseless. I've said this before, but sheep are the only animal I know that you will never find a wild flock of somewhere in this world. There are no wild flocks of sheep. Sheep demand a shepherd. They're defenseless. They, they cannot protect themselves. They, they're dumb and they are defenseless. That means that they will always be food. And the only reason they have survived till now is because there are shepherds. And I think, if maybe for no other reason, I think that is such a beautiful reason why the Lord calls us sheep. Because sheep demand a shepherd. Sheep cannot live on their own. Sheep cannot function in their own ability, in their own resource, in their own wisdom. But neither can we. God made us dependent, which is one of the ideas. That so, so sheep are dumb, they're defenseless, they're dirty, they can't clean themselves, and, and their wool catches all this stuff. So the shepherd has to clean them off. They're directionless. They, they have no idea where they're going. I've, I've heard that if a sheep starts walking in a circle, sheep will start following because they think something's happening. And then eventually that sheep follows the other sheep and sheep can walk in circles for hours because they think they're going somewhere. That is dumb. <laughs> but we do that too, don't we? So she- <laughs> Sheep are dumb, they're defenseless, they're dirty, they're directionless, and they're dependent. But strangely, so are we. That we're full of dirt called sin. That we are heading to hell. We really are directionless. We have no idea what to do or where to go. That we are absolutely dependent. We are sheep. And until we actually humble ourselves and embrace the fact that we are sheep... Do you realize we will never experience, as, as Tony Evans says, the blessings and the full reality of what it means for Jesus to be our shepherd? And I've talked about this before, but there's this grand thought that even bad shepherds always give their sheep three things. Protection, provision, and direction. And if a bad shepherd will give protection, provision, and direction to his sheep, how much more the good shepherd how much more the superlative shepherd that always loves and cares and goes after that sheep. And so if, if a bad shepherd is willing to protect his sheep and provide for the sheep and give direction to the sheep, do you realize that I can actually rest in the fact that the Lord is my shepherd, that Jesus is this great shepherd and he will protect, provide, and direct my life. And isn't it almost interesting that if you look at the majority of our prayers, most of our prayers have to do with those three things. Lord, I need protection. Lord, I need provision. Lord, I need direction. And yet, 
you actually, I'm not saying don't pray for those things because I think the Lord wants you to bring all, bring all things to him. So it's not, you shouldn't bring those things to him, but do you realize you can rest in those things? Because if he truly is a shepherd, a good shepherd, and you are truly a sheep, without a doubt, he will, he will do those things for you. And so, yeah, pray, but rest in the fact that you don't have to be begging him. He's a shepherd. Trust in his protection, provision, and direction because he will do it. So I just want to ask you a question again. What is it that you look to to take care of you? What is it that we turn to for protection, provision, and direction in our life? When you're tired, what do you go to to be replenished? When you're stressed out, what is it that you grab and can I again propose to you that if it's not Jesus, that there's a spiritual thing that he needs to work in our lives. That, that he needs to change and transform something. He needs to deepen his work in our lives. Because what he longs to be is everything we need. So look at what David says again. Psalm 23, verse 1. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want Peter said it totally different, but Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 1, 3-4. Peter says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. What is Peter saying? The Lord is my shepherd. So God is Jesus. In Jesus, everything has been given to us for life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that, think about this, by them, you may become partakers of the shepherd's nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Do you realize that not only does a shepherd want to give you everything for life and godliness and give you protection, provision, and direction for life, do you realize he actually wants strangely to share his life, his nature with the sheep? And somehow, even though I'm a dumb, defenseless, dependent little sheep, I can actually experience the life and the nature of my shepherd who lives inside of the little sheep known as me. That is so mind-boggling to me. But I think that's incredibly beautiful. So I just want to go back, and I want to read Psalm 23, verse 1. But I want to read it in just a couple of translations, just to close. I just want you to freshly ponder this. What does it mean for the Lord to be your shepherd? So the Amplified says it this way, The Lord is my shepherd, to feed, to guide, and shield me. I shall not lack. The Lexham English Bible says, Yahweh is my shepherd. I will not lack for anything. The CSB, the Coleman, or the Christian Standard, says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. The International Standard says, The Lord is the one who is shepherding me. I lack nothing. Do you realize that is true? That if you truly have the one who is the great shepherd in your life, you don't lack. He is sufficient and able to supply everything you need for life and godliness. So rather than turning to something other than him, could we just freshly give ourselves unto the great shepherd 
who longs to go after the little lost sheep, who is able and sufficient to supply and guard and protect. And and do you realize that strangely, we get all the benefit? I mean, it's for his glory, it's for his renown and, and his name. But if he's doing the active work of shepherding me, I get all the blessing. And he can use my little lambish life however he wants to as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Well, let's pray. Jesus, we need you as our shepherd. And it's not a request of like, hey, would you come and be a shepherd as much as thank you that you are actively shepherding our lives. And Lord, you are not a bad shepherd. You're not a mediocre shepherd. You're not even just a kind of shepherd. You are a phenomenal, over-the-top, competent, genuine, phenomenal shepherd. Lord, will you, will you continue that deep work of shepherding our lives? Would you use your staff to bring correction and comfort in our lives? Lord, would you, would you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake? Lord, would you, would you let us rest in the fact that you will give protection, provision, and direction to your sheep? Lord, somehow could we bask in the reality that as a good shepherd, you have given your life for the sheep. That at the cross, you gave us everything. And it is only reasonable that as little sheep that we would give forth our lives back to you to say, Lord, oh, our dear shepherd, use our little lamb life however you so choose. Lord, would you let us get so tight and so intimate with you that that we would know your voice, that you would know our name. Lord, thank you that you are not a shepherd that watches from a distance, that you are not some shepherd who who is way over there somewhere, but that you are actively involved and intimate, right smack dab in the middle of our lives and our circumstances and situations. In fact, the, the very spirit of the shepherd has come to indwell the life of the sheep. So Lord, let us live in that reality. Let us rest in that reality. And Lord, if we are, if we are trying to do our own sheepish thing, would you make us lie down in green pastures? Would, would you lead us beside quiet waters? Would you restore our souls? Would you guide us in paths of righteousness for your namesake? Lord, regardless of what valley we might be walking through, could we fear no evil? Not because we have anything within us as sheep. <laughs> we're just, we're lunch meat to the enemy. But when you are with us, when we're at the ankle of the shepherd and your spirit indwells us, then there is no need to fear. Again, would your rod and your staff comfort us? Would you, would you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies? And would you anoint our head with oil and allow our cups to overflow? And may we declare, like David did, surely goodness and hesed, loving kindness. Pursue us all the days of our life. And may we dwell in your presence forever. What an amazing privilege we have, Jesus. 
We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.